Welcome to the Made for Memories podcast, where we explore the sport and business of fishing and the great outdoors in Canada. Presented by Len Thompson and Northern King Lures. Here are your hosts, brother and sister duo, Brad Pallister and Jessica Pallister Dew. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Made for Memories podcast. Hello, Bradley. Jessica, we are getting into some spring weather here pretty quick. It's looking pretty nice. Still spring, but who's counting? Yeah, and uh, still a little cold, but uh, it just feels like spring is coming. Well, it's daylight savings. Yes. Which, as a parent, I despise. Yes. It's challenging. But it is nice to have a little bit of extra sunlight at the end of the day. That it is, yeah. We've been busy mm-hmm. at the factory, yep. um, shipping out spring orders. Custom. Lots of custom, yeah, lots of custom stuff coming out. Um, and uh, reaching out to dealers and just making sure everyone's set up the way that they should be set up. And Yeah, feeling good about this season, though. I think it's going to be a good one this year. Just feeling good about, yeah. Just feeling good about it. We're Check already it. working on new products for next year. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Like pro- proactively instead of like, oh man, we get stuff like that. Yeah, it's just yeah, no. it's going, it's going well. I feel like so. Well, today we have a pretty uh, great guest, Brad, who we're going to speak to. Really is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to really incorporating the outdoors. And making it a family thing. Yeah, well, and 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 protein as well. So he he's really good about um, forging and cooking and all that sort of stuff too. That's I I don't know. Like I listened to his podcast, which I'm sure he'll tell us more about. And that's a big part of it is is uh, you know preparing what you harvest and and kind of entry entry into the hunting world. So. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. I like his podcast and and uh, Brad Fenson is just a heck of a good guy too. I've known him for well pretty much since I started in the industry. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk to him. Today we welcome Brad Fenson. Brad is an avid conservation-minded outdoorsman who has made a career as a freelance journalist, photographer, seminar host, podcast host, and a wildlife fish and game chef. He's also a proud family man and a father of twin girls who are already accomplished outdoor ladies at the young age of five years old. We have lots to cover today, so let's get started. Welcome, Brad. Thank you. It's a pleasure Hi, to Bradley. be here. Hello. I'll, I'll rem- I always remember your name. It's pretty easy. It's all the Brads are the smart, good-looking fellows, right? <laughs> there you go. Successful. Don't forget to to throw in successful. Right. So, Brad, tell us about your career in the outdoors and how it got started and kind of how it evolved into where you are today. Well, like most things in life, I started a journalism career feeling sorry for myself. And a true story. Uh, Being an avid angler, I had set up an ice fishing weekend with my buddies. And 
we had a horrendous snowstorm that weekend. Shut the city down. You couldn't even drive on the streets. People were going with snowmobiles. Stuck at home, crawling the walls, trying, you know, trying to find something to do. Went through all my gear. Still bored out of my mind. So I sat down and wrote a story about a big deer I shot. Sent it to a magazine and they published it. So even better, they sent it back with a check. And I thought, hmm, this is pretty interesting. So I wrote several more and got them published. And when I tried to jump in with both feet, it got a little bit frustrating. I couldn't generate the amount of work I wanted. So it's taken a lot of time, but uh, 37 years later, um, I've got more than I can deal with. <laughs> so how old were you when you put your first story out? Uh, early 20s. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's good. I mean, it takes it takes a lot of guts to even put yourself out there on in the print uh, format at early twenties age. I mean, don't even know your your uh, vowels and adjectives at that point, do you? Well, it's interesting you say that because I always say that if you could find my high school English teacher and told her I was a journalist, you'd have to pick her up off the floor. <laughs> so there well, was something has uh, worked out. Yeah, there was an advanced learning curve that I had to go back through for not paying attention to everything in high school and college and all the rest of it. But, uh, you know, it, uh, I worked at it because I wanted to make it happen. And now I have over 200 assignments a year. So what piece do you enjoy the most? Do you enjoy the writing side? Do you enjoy the podcasting side, the lecturing side? Like what? What gets you the most excited? Yeah, I wouldn't say I have one that I prefer over the other. They all uh, lend themselves very well to each other. And where 30 years ago, we'd call ourselves an outdoor writer photographer. I'd say today I call myself an outdoor communicator between social media and podcasts and television and radio and, you know, all the things that we do, it all works together and meshes together in terms of what your business is. So I don't really draw distinct lines between them. I think it all is part of uh, a communication strategy, plan, um, something that helps define me, the things that I love to do in life. I'm just glad it's a topic I really enjoy. Do you have one that really puts you on the on the, the front page more, like that you're known for a little bit more? Or I'd have to ask you that. I mean, I know that uh, people read my writing. I know that some people listen to the podcasts and I do TV contracts with several other shows in the States and um, Myself, though, I always used to believe that nobody actually read my stuff. So I wrote it for me. And uh, it, it was a long time before I actually started to believe that lots of people sat down to read my stuff when it ended up in a magazine. Dear Diary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Dear Diary. From from my perspective, I mean, you and I have known each other for a long time. Um, just hanging out at outdoor shows and getting to know each other from that from that side of things. But what I personally, I've read your stuff since the beginning that I started, but what I personally get the value out of the most is, uh, as I, as I've told, told you and a few people, I'm starting the hunting path, uh, just the last couple of years and lo and behold, looking for, cause I'm a big podcaster myself. I like listening to podcasts and here's a podcast called harvest your own podcast with our very own host, Brad Fenson telling me how to how to get into the how to get into it if you're starting and I I'm lucky I have a few good uh uh mentors that are that are helping hold my hand through the process but I tell you this podcast has really helped give some basic information so tell us a little bit about where that podcast came from what it's all about and uh how it's how it got started 
Well, the Alberta Conservationist Association started Harvest Your Own. I think it's going back almost eight years now. And it was to help people get into hunting because it, uh, it's a little bit intimidating. There's a lot you have to do from hunter ed and firearms courses and or learn how to do archery. There's, there's always a number of things. So we wanted to sh try to shorten that learning curve for people and provide them a source of information, a library. So if you go to their website, you'll learn everything, how to hunt rough grouse or how to hunt deer, how to choose a specific caliber for, for hunting, how to choose the right shot shells if you're going to be a bird hunter. And of course, the most important part of that, how to cook it and eat it and enjoy it and make sure that other people around you enjoy it as well. So the podcast, you know, was uh, a natural progression with the information that was put out there. And we've now recorded 50 episodes and covered a pretty wide swath of information to help encourage people to get out there. And I say that because it's really geared towards people that are trying to get into hunting. But uh, I hear from a lot of people that have been hunters their whole life or, you know, come from a family of hunters and they're getting a lot out of it too. So we always try to provide tips, tricks, and comments and information that would help anyone, not just the first timers. And it makes it pretty rewarding. I think that there's a um, trend. I'm going to use the word trend. I'm not sure if it's the right word to use, but I think there's a trend lately where people are becoming way more cognizant of where their food comes from. Like there's this push towards growing your own food. And I, you know, I think that hunting gets a bad rep, but the vast majority of people who hunt are so conservation minded. No, like even for me, it's, it's, uh, you know, hunting, you're really connected to the outdoors. If you're, if you're, if you're hunting and you're in, you are in the outdoors fishing, uh, if you're fishing a stream, I get a kind of a similar feel, I guess. If you're on a boat, I don't get that same feel. Um, and, and that's not to, you're just on a boat in the middle of a body of water. But if you're in the forest, if you're in, if you're, if you're hiking through some places where people haven't hiked, you know, for years, decades, whatever, I mean, uh, it's, uh, that's really what connects you to it. Um, I still haven't harvested my first animal yet. I, I, I took a shot at one in, uh, in the intent too, but I, I guess I need to practice a little more there. That's probably the, the most challenging part to catch up with is becoming a proficient marksman but also to control your emotions and everything else when that opportunity arises, because it is a rush of adrenaline. Like it's very yeah. exciting and you know, you probably don't know it yet, but it's coming. That's going to be the the draw to bring you back for more and more. It's, yeah. Uh, well, I, I, I totally agree. And, and even being part of like everybody else in the crew has, has harvested and I've been part of the cleaning process and yeah. I was worried that that was going to squeamish me off and it didn't. And I was like, okay, well, if I can, be part of that i probably can go the rest of the right way but uh, oh yeah um your podcast definitely uh, highly recommended for anybody even thinking about uh getting into the hunting space there's some really good topics even like how to dress warmly you know like the things that cross over into a bunch of different uh you know aspects of you know fishing hunting the outdoors period right it doesn't right. it doesn't necessarily need to be just hunting focused right there's lots of overlap the episode that I just finished listening to was the one uh, with your brother where you had him on and you were talking about public use land and about how, you know, that's one of the biggest barriers is people don't necessarily know where to go or don't feel comfortable asking for permission. And that this land is available and not necessarily um, overused. Absolutely. You know, he, my brother worked most of his life. I would say way too much. 
but uh, he's retired now and everyone thinks because he's my brother, he's got 30 years of hunting experience, but he doesn't. He's uh, starting out and he's extremely excited. He shot his first mule deer this year, his first pheasants and a first elk. And he is over the moon and on a learning curve that is very steep, but loving every minute of it. So it uh, it's interesting where life can take you if you just let it. Mm-hmm. I uh, I want to change gears a little bit here. So one of the things that you have uh, done is developed a bit of a niche in uh, the cooking side of things. Um, it's just, you know, that's just where lots of people go for that information is what is, how's Brad Fenson prepare his meat or, or recipes or whatever. So tell us a little bit about the, where that aspect came from and uh, how did you, how did you become as, as you so humbly put like a self-taught, chef um where, where did that come from well it's interesting i remember getting in trouble like when i was four or five years old sneaking out of bed in the morning on the weekend and making everyone breakfast in bed you know have eggs and toast and everything and my parents were kind of excited but not really excited that i was using the stove when i was that young so i've always had an interest in it um and it's become more of a passion than an interest i mean i really enjoy cooking wild game and uh, sharing the recipes and ideas and I think it's one of the biggest challenges that hunters have is they um, they get out and go deer hunting or duck hunting. They bring it home and their family doesn't like it or won't eat it. So it's important to teach people how to cook it properly and enjoy it and make sure they can share it and, and make it a, a positive experience for everyone. So how do you go about developing your own recipes? Uh, I'm always thinking about it. Like... I never quit thinking about it. I have a, a notebook here and I scribble down ideas and it uh, it just works into new new ideas. You know, like we did the Pheasant Festival last year and I was thinking, what's something really different that we can do? You know, a lot of people don't, don't know how to cook pheasant. It dries out easy and stuff. So I actually made blueberry citrus pheasant sausages for, for breakfast. You could do them in the field when you're out hunting and everyone loved them. You can still taste the pheasant. It's quite a unique presentation. Um, easy to use up some birds you're always looking for more but things like that are just something that you, you dream up and try think about the things that you like the taste what blends together what doesn't and uh just get creative how does foraging work within that scope yeah i think it's just a my love for the outdoors it gets me outdoors more so you know the girls and i we plant our garden and we're out there all the time tending it and we pick berries and mushrooms and you name it we're we're pretty self-reliant in terms of the what we put up every year so it's uh it's a natural progression but again it's more just being outdoors you know we're always walking the trails on our property you're going for a walk looking for shed antlers and you'll notice the rose hips and the last year the girls picked a couple gallons of uh, wild hazelnuts they're not very big but they learned there lots of work and they were quite proud of their accomplishments so you know it's Things like that that uh, probably put my kids at a bit of an advantage. I mean, do the average kid even know what a wild hazelnut is or where to find it? Where, you know, we can walk the trails and they're pointing them out. Oh, there's three on that one, two there. Get that one, Dad. Hurry up. And, you know, we're filling a pail up as we go. Uh, not only your kids an advantage, your adults an advantage. I don't know what a wild hazelnut is. I don't know where to find one of them. <laughs> I'd like to. I love a hazelnut. So yeah. we need to talk about that. Brad and I have a joke every once in a while that we talk about where we would go if there was an apocalypse. Um, and he's definitely going to his hunting buddy's place because like 
he feels like he could survive there quite easily. Oh, yeah. I yeah. just don't think I would make it. Like, I'm not going to survive the apocalypse. I would not be able to find a wild, a wild hazelnut. <laughs> nope. You need to listen to Brad's podcast and you'll figure it out a okay. quicker, cool. I guess. Cool, cool, cool. You and your partner, Stephanie, are both great outdoors people. Um, she does a little bit of writing, I believe, as well um she's also a hunter she's also an angler but tell me about how you have really instilled those values in your girls and what are some of your um, biggest tips to getting kids interested in these pursuits good question I mean Steph and I have always done a ton of things outdoors we you know basically live outdoors whether it's camping season ice fishing fall hunting season there's always something to do and we seldom just sit at home or watch tv so (laughs) not that that's a bad thing but they're just things that are more rewarding in life once you figure out how to take advantage of it and with the girls they they're naturally interested like we go out shed hunting and i'll walk ten thousand steps which i don't know how much that is for someone four and a half years old with legs half the size of mine but i'm guessing it's almost double the count but they never complain they keep going and they find sheds so, you know, it's it's about making it rewarding for them and making it an activity they enjoy. Like I said, they, when we harvest the garden, they pick their own cucumbers and stuff. We go to the shop, they wash them up, they stuff their own jars, they peel their garlic, put them in there. We make brine and process the pickles and they mark them. It's either Maya's pickles or Addie's pickles. And they know exactly whose they are when we go to feed somebody when we do have company over. So uh, they love it. They, you know, they catch their own fish. They reel them in. We went out fishing last year. We went over to Meadow Lake Provincial Park, and I was stringing up some of the rods, getting them ready. And I had already given Addie one, and she's yelling, I got one, I got one. Turn around and look, and she's got a 28-inch walleye beside the boat. So I grabbed the <laughs> net and it. It was the biggest fish of our trip. So, you know, at four years old, when they can reel in a fish on their own and uh, communicate with you, let you know what's going on, it's uh, it's got a lot of rewards for the parent as well. Are they competitive with each other? Uh, they're not so much competitive. They, you know, they do, they are in the way that if one catches a walleye and a pike, the other one wants a walleye and a pike. So, uh, other than that, they're, they work pretty well together. My, uh, our last, uh, podcast interview said something that really hit home to me because, uh, everybody always asks, oh, you, you must fish a lot because you own a fishing lure company. And, and and I find that you know it 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 doesn't it doesn't always hit the priority list as it should, but when my girls started to get to an age where they were interested in that and more capable of being outside for long periods of time, um, it almost forced you to want to go outside more often. And uh, you know, uh, Hans said the same thing. You know, I have one son who's interested in fishing, and it's almost forced me uh, myself to 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 explore that more aggressively. Um, do, do you think that, how can we foster that as an industry or as a society to, to, you know, really prove to adults that when they're taking the kids out, it really brings mutual self-fulfillment, I guess. Yeah. It's really important that we tell people how much uh, of a benefit it is, not only to their family, but themselves physically, mentally, you know, I grew up in a different era. Uh, Weekends were a lot slower. Most stores weren't even open on Saturdays or Sunday. Uh, Sunday night, Walt Disney used to come on. You'd always have a family dinner, sit around. 
society's gotten so busy that things are such a hectic pace that we get wrapped up in the wrong things. We live to work instead of work to live. And I really encourage people to, to find that freedom, like uh, go out with your family and your friends, spend more time in the outdoors, and you'll find that everything in life gets better. And I say that because your outlook on everything gets better. So uh, you're struggling with work, you're struggling with family, struggling with commitments, and all the stuff that overwhelms all of us these days. Just take a breath and step outside. It's probably the best thing you can do for yourself and your family. To embroider that on a pillow was <laughs> <laughs> maybe a bit long, but I, I mean, I hundred percent agree. And one thing that you said about your girls in particular is that they're used to it. Right. And I think that there's, uh, there's a lot of expectation that we put on ourselves as parents, that things should go a certain way. And I think that if you can embrace the fact that it might not go the way that you want it to, and you start small and you just keep on pushing, then it's eventually going to click. It's not always easy. You know, you have to remember it's about them, not you. So when I go fishing, I don't go fishing like I do with my buddies where we get up early, hit the water. And, you know, that last cast becomes a hundred last casts. When they tell you that they're done or they need a break or they want to go swimming or they need to go to the bathroom or get something to eat, you better pack it up and go because that's the priority. Not, not you catching another fish. And sometimes that's hard to do. But the good news is if you train them right, they're the one that's going to be asking if you can stay for an extra minute or another cast or try one more. So it does come around full circle. You just need to be patient, make them the priority and give them the, the things they need to make it fun and productive for themselves. It's easy to know what we want. It's more challenging to recognize what they want and make sure you deliver well, and I love how your philosophy also comes back to food with your girls. You talk about them um, pickling their own pickles, labeling their jars with their own names. I mean, that's bringing it full circle. And it's funny what they recognize as food. Like our girls eat, you know, Korean goose legs and deer loins and steaks and roasts and grouse and all the rest of it and never complain. For a matter of fact, if you give them domestic chicken, a ch domestic chicken breast, they don't eat it. It says it has no flavor. So in some ways they're kind of spoiled, but uh, we've always had them involved in their meal preps too. So, I mean, they're, they're not even five years old yet. They'll be five in April, but they, we found some polymer knives that you can buy online. It'll cut vegetables. It'll cut bread. It'll cut all kinds of stuff, but it won't cut skin. So we've mm -hmm. had them busy in the kitchen since they were three years old. When we make pizzas, they cut up their own toppings. And when I'm, you know, prepping stuff for a stew, they're in there chopping potatoes and carrots and celery and, one of them likes cutting and peeling onions, which I don't quite understand. I actually posted a picture on Facebook one time. She's got tears running down her face and peeling these onions. And people are like, I can't believe you're doing that to your kids. And I'm like, I didn't do it. She's insisting that she does it. So it's interesting what happens once you engage them and let them, you know, try different things. Like, you know, at four years old, they'll say, you know, I think we need some of this ingredient or spice or I want more potatoes in there this time. And it's interesting to see them have some input into their next meal, but also know exactly where it comes from. When we cut up deer, moose, elk in the shop, they're out there. We cut and wrap it and they've got a marking pen and have always put their special marks on each package. So they'll draw a deer or, you know, make something funny cartoons on there at the 
with the meat that we put away and it uh, just helps them understand what it's all about. I think that's so cool. <laughs> polymer knives. I'm going to go find some polymer, polymer, polymer knives. Yeah, they're a plastic based knife. Uh, some <laughs> of them have a serrated blade and they, they really do work wonderful. It allows you to engage your kids in meal prep and, and once they get started, look out because they're going to want to be part of all of it. So Brad's ordering some right now. Look at that. I see it. I yeah. just Googled it. Brad and I both have young children as well. Brad and his wife have two young girls, um, seven and almost five as well. And then I have a, a seven, almost seven-year-old boy. So um, I'm taking notes on this whole food prep thing because I, I honestly think that's just so incredible. They love it. They have their own uh, specialties. They like to make uh, ramen noodle soup. So they'll cut up mushrooms and onions and hot dogs and stuff as their own recipe. But they, they make lunch for us quite often. <laughs> <laughs> Comes full circle. Didn't you make lunch and breakfast for your, your parents too? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that, uh, I think uh, unless Jesse have any more questions, should we move on to the rapid fire format? Uh-oh. Are you ready, Brad? So we had to tell um we had to tell Brad about the rules of rapid fire before we hit record on this podcast. And he looked a little nervous when I said 30 seconds. But you are a professional uh -oh, presenter. So I'm not communicator. Communicator. <laughs> yeah, I'm not worried about you at all. First question. Your biggest tip to becoming a better chef of outdoor foods don't overcook it it uh, cooks in about half the time as domestic meat oh, oh, oh did you see that it's like a six second rapid fire question does he get extra bonus points for that oh absolutely bonus points and so correct too <laughs> especially especially fish don't overcook fish yeah especially any wild proteins you overcook them they dry out hmm. why uh, because there's no fat there's no fat within the meat that's marbled so yeah. you think of a beefsteak like your house you put insulation in the walls and the ceiling it takes a long time to get heat in or out of your building a steak's the same way when it's uh, marbled with fat when you throw it on the grill that fat insulates it and it takes longer for the heat to penetrate those proteins uh, domestic meat is solid protein with no fat so it actually transmits heat when you cook it, it cooks much faster. And when you remove it from the heat, it continues to cook for at least another minute, if not a minute and a half. So cut your cooking times almost in half of what you do or what you're used to. And you'll find that uh, the, pro the end product is much better. Nice. Okay, cool. Question number two, your best fishing memory with the twins. Oh, it was probably last summer out at uh, Waterhen, uh, Addie catching that 28-inch walleye before we even got started. What'd she catch it on? Uh, she had a white jig on with a minnow on that particular one. And she was pretty happy uh, the next day because she actually had a pike steal her Len Thompson spoon. And I uh, continued to cast and we caught it and got it back for her. She thought that was pretty special. <laughs> That is good, except for I, I thought you were gonna have to buy a new one. Now, now, now you got it back, so that's no good. You always have to buy a new one because you know that they get customized real quick. <laughs> Question number three: uh, I spent a lot of time in the outdoors. Uh, tell us one of your more intense experiences you've had on there. All right, uh, last 
February, I went on a coastal mountain goat hunt and I uh, snowshoed 29 kilometers uh, in 21 hours, shot a boot and crocket goat and we got back to the truck at three in the morning. <laughs> Physically intense. No kidding. Yeah, everything about it was intense. Brad's face. I know this is a um, podcast, but if you can see Brad's face, he's looking at you being like, what the? 29 kilometers snowshoe, like. And it was, yeah, we climbed, uh, I forget how many thousand feet in elevation too. We went all the way up a valley, up the mountain, shot the goat as the sun was starting to set, finished it up after dark. And then we had, you know, over eight hours back out that night. Hmm. It was I wasn't bad the next day. Two days later, I was so sore I could barely walk. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Jeez. Yeah. Question number. Oh, no, you're here, Jess. I'm question number four. Tell us the best practices for freezing meat properly. Uh, the way I like to do it is I have the meat clean, remove any bone marrow as much fat as possible. And then I wrap it in plastic wrap, squeeze all the air out. And then I use butcher's paper, which is waxed on one side, wrap it up. So it's all double wrapped. It'll last three years without freezer burn. Hmm. You do subscribe to the vacuum food saver things, do you? I do, but your uh, your freezer life is going to be less, I find, uh, for a couple of reasons. Um, if you do a lot of game processing, you'll notice even your burger bags, bags are colored. They're either yellow or white. Uh, you don't think light can penetrate things in the freezer, but uh, clear packaging uh, leads to freezer burn. So that's why butcher paper is colored. That's why burger bags are colored. So um, most of the vacuum sealers, chamber sealers are clear bags. They work great, but just plan on using things up within the year. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, question number five. How do you start the process in your recommendation in 30 seconds to a life of field forging? Get started today. Uh, it's never too late to get started. Start to identify things, find a good mentor, someone that knows the outdoors, knows what the different things are, and don't be afraid to try them. The skin on a rose hip is wonderful. The, our wild berries that we have in Alberta are diverse, great pick hazelnuts uh, we even forage dandelion leaves in the spring and make our own salads and stuff so there's lots out there to take advantage of just find a way to to embrace it sub question yep how many things can hurt you uh i haven't found anything that's hurt us i mean we uh we've tried lots of different things if i'm not sure i look it up but uh it's more about taste and flavor if it tastes good it usually is good <laughs> Okay. All right. So there's not like a, like a secret barrier that's going to take you down or something like that. No, I think with some of the mushrooms, you have to be a little more cautious. Uh, not that in Alberta, there's most of them aren't going to make you sick or anything. It might make you feel a little bit wonky for a while, but. Okay. Um, Brad, right. you've asked a sub question on the last three questions, I believe. So you're obviously really. Sorry. Breaking the rules of rapid fire, but obviously Sorry. interested. Yes. That's okay. That's okay. No. I'm just pointing. No, you're right. Out. You're right. Usually, I let the the interviewee lose a point, but I'm losing points today for sure. No points for you. Okay. okay. Question number six. Tell us about the article that you are most proud of publishing. Uh, I guess one of the ones I'm most proud about is. Um, 
uh, either the goat hunt article I just had run in field and stream. Uh, Addie always, whenever I go out on a hunt, Addie and Maya give me little keepsakes and they gave me some beads that I had in my pocket. And the story is all around the beads and going up the mountain with me and getting my goat and they were my lucky charms. So uh, tied back to my family, my girls, my life, uh, lucky charms and a successful hunt. My Very heart good. feels warm. <laughs> Uh, question number seven, your favorite, uh, once in a lifetime adventure lodge kind of trip. Fishing specific. Once in a lifetime. Trip. Okay. I'd have to say, uh, Cree River Lodge up there fishing with Steph. Um, we saw a huge pike along the bank. I had my fly rod, laid a fly in the rod at water, stripped it about three times and it hammered it. It was 49 and a half inches, had an incredible girth. It, uh, it put out just an amazing fight and I'll never forget that for as long as I live. Question number eight, the Edmonton Boat and Sportsman Show is coming up this week and you are a presenter. Tell me and us, our listeners, about your presentation. Uh, we talk about cooking wild. So there's all kinds of tips and tricks for cooking wild game. You know, we, you said, what's the number one thing? Don't overcook it. I'll give you another big tip. When you take out a frozen package of meat, take a knife and score one end, stand it in the colander, put it in the fridge, let it thaw on its own. And all of that liquid that comes out of there, a lot of people call it blood, but it's actually myoglobin. And it uh, it can change the flavor of the meat drastically. So if you allow your meat to thaw at uh, the correct temperatures, get rid of that extra moisture, it's going to be outstanding. Brad, you definitely got bonus points for uh, rapid fire. You were quick, you were prompt, and too much information in too short a time. Yeah, I was wor more worried about where are you going to use the nipple, dimple series in this particular color in August? <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite spoon? Yeah. Uh, the number four black and white. Oh, you're my one number four black and white customer. I <laughs> caught an awful lot of big fish on that. We don't sell very many number four black and whites. Yeah, it's it's the best kept secret. I I don't disagree. The, the contrast. Uh, we uh, and we'll never discontinue it. I promise, because it's an it's an original. Right. Um. It's a it's an original Len color we're never going to get rid of it but we don't sell very many of them that's for sure it's strange you know i i say your favorite fishing lure often comes down to confidence so absolutely if, you know your confidence lure is the one you're going to put on more often it's going to see more water time it's probably going to catch more fish because of that all right brad you were given an assignment tell us your favorite fishing joke I wouldn't say it's favorite. I thought you could actually start to put some of these together and say, you know, fishing for laughs, dad jokes and family fun or something like that. It would be your your little book from your podcast. But uh, why are fish so gullible? Because they take things hook, line and sinker. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. It's a dad joke, of course. <laughs> Bradley, thank you for coming on. We it enjoyed fun. it very much. Before we go, tell uh, our listeners how they can follow you and where they can learn more about the podcast and all of those fun details. Just look up Harvest Your Own on your podcast provider, on your phone, whatever app you use. Uh, check out Harvest Your Own. If you Google my name, Brad Fenson, there's a lot, a lot of hits come up. 
I do uh, monthly recipes for American Hunter. I do the Waterfall Chef for Delta Waterfowl and lots of other stuff. So if you want to read hunting and fishing know-how or adventure, there's lots out there. There's lots of food stuff and there's lots of articles about how to get your family more involved and enjoy it. So there you Fantastic. go. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your knowledge and your time. It was fun. Until next time, listeners, happy fishing. Happy fishing.